It's time for the man's opinion. Jeff Manns, the GM of the Vegas Pocket Kings, stopping by the HOFL podcast. A guy who has allegedly, that's what we've been told, won more than $1 million in fantasy sports. So not just a personality and a writer, but someone who has actually performed in fantasy football. So again, he's the GM of the Vegas Pocket Kings, and he is on the HOFL podcast right now. If you want to stake the Vegas Pocket Kings, check out the HOFL.com and follow us on social media at the HOF League. Jeff Manns, here we go. I could not think of a man better equipped to manage the first ever national fantasy football team out of Las Vegas than Jeff Manns, who he's, well, he's the owner of the Elite Sports Network and host of Elite Sports on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio. But also, I mean, just just the the overall, the Twitter profile picture where there's fire, there's hair bleached, maybe slicked back. Like there's everything that you could imagine where you're like, I need to know more. So, Jeff, hopefully we're going to get to know you a little bit more here. Let's peel this onion, Jeff. Uh, glad to be <laughs> here. I'm excited about this. I'm excited about the opportunity. Pocket Kings, man. We, we aren't coming to play around, you know. We're coming to win this thing. The Vegas Pocket Kings, that is your team name. That is the team out of Vegas, one of 10 teams in the Hall of Fantasy League. And I think it's, you know, really interesting because your story, I feel like so much of it comes into Vegas. We have a lot of, a lot of the... GMs in this league are, you know, fantasy analysts. They they crunch those numbers. They've been writing. They've owned their blogs for a long time. Maybe they work for a big company, but you put your money on the line and have actually made a ton of money playing fantasy sports. Now, the number, I don't know if it's public information or the number, I'm not sure exactly what it is. How much would you say you've netted from pure fantasy football performance? Or fantasy sports performance. I, my wife, I'm sure, has the exact fi- uh, figure. <laughs> is she the accountant? <laughs> she's the accountant. She's got the, like the visor and just teaching. She, she's like the back end of a Vegas uh, poker room uh, accountant. It's you know well over seven figures uh, as far as net is concerned, um, and the net being very operative there because I learned it's one of the things I've learned on this journey in fantasy sports is how to how to keep your expenses low how to not risk as much and maximize reward while also maintaining a, a medium level of risk, which I think is very important for folks. So yeah, I'm fortunate enough to have been able to do that. I had a lot of, you know, pretty big wins in my career. And I am kind of proud, Jeff, that you know, I started out in the industry in 2005. So I've been around a while, but quite frankly, like I didn't, I wasn't successful. I was absolute nothing. And, you know, my blog, never took off, um, never got really any degree of attention or, or sponsorship or anything like that. I had to win my way in. It wasn't until I started winning and started, you know, getting into high stakes contests and season long fantasy sports that I started getting in and, and meeting people and, you know, getting congratulated and things like that. And then once the daily game started, that kind of set my career into orbit. Well, wait, let's go back before 2005 yeah. or in 2005. What is your career if not in fantasy sports? Yeah, I was in uh, I was in the tech sector technically. I mean, I, from the late '90s to early 2000s, I was a I uh, was a computer repairman. I used to, I would be the guy that's soldering mo- motherboards together and putting video cards in and 
I did virus removal, some software stuff back in those days, in the early days, right? Um, and I built a company that um, eventually I sold to GE in 2003. And it would just be when you would go to a circuit city, Montgomery Ward, um, Office Max, a bunch of these type of retail, all of which are out of business now. So the whiz, the whiz yeah. in the Northeast. No, I wasn't in the Northeast. I tried. I got on the phone. I tried. But uh, when you bought a, a, an extended warranty for a computer, like I was the guy that would fix it. So I would service it. So they'd send me your, your laptop, your desktop. And I, I was the one that actually was fixing it. And the, the business outgrew um you know, what I was capable of. I had a team of over 20 people at one point. So wound up selling it to GE in 03. And then I was kind of looking like, all right, well, I still worked, you know, I worked for the government for a while, the postal service and the uh, department of defense in their IT department. And it just wasn't for me. I didn't like working for the government at all. And I said, I said, all right, let's, let's try to get into something we like. And me and my current co-host, Ted Schuster, a couple of our friends, uh, my nephews, you know, Family Affair, we started a site called Scout Fantasy Football. And we thought, all right, here we go. Now we got it. We're going to be, we're going to revolutionize everything and, you know, back up the Brinks truck to the garage. We're going to make all this money. And, you know, obviously it just didn't really happen. I'm proud of the, the stuff. We did a lot of innovative stuff back in those days, but. You know, what was did- innovative back in the day? Oh, oh it, game by game blogs. Like we would, we, I had a television set up and I invested in this, in the, the uh, um, direct TV, uh, full season, you know, watching every game at oh, once. So I had a TV early adopter, game. early adopter. I'm talking like, Oh, one, Oh, two, Oh, three. I had four TVs in those days, expanded to eight TVs eventually. So we would all go and watch. we would assign one of our guys to each game and they would live blog at what's happening. This, Oh, you know, Adrian Peterson pulled up lame. looks like a hamstring or you know, this, just uh, this 67 yard touchdown just got overruled, you know, things like that. We were really, I think ahead of the curve because eventually, you know, almost a decade later, CBS, ESPN started doing that as well. We just didn't have, uh, we we didn't have enough ability to to hang in there. It was a lot of hard work. So when does the first big fantasy win come for you? Who, um, I mean, first big fantasy win monetarily at least was World Championship of Fantasy Football WCOF, um back in. 06, 07 ish, right around there. I just won my league. Now, when I say I have championships in fantasy football player championship, national fantasy football championship, I have multiple championships in both, both in baseball and football, and and WCOFF, who's no longer in existence. I've won leagues in there. I've never won the overall yet. You know, I've had a decent place, a couple decent places. But that's definitely on my bucket list. I want that overall title eventually. But going back, I think it was like, yeah, that one was the first time I even knew. It was like, I think it was 07. So I knew there was an industry. There was this thing called the Fantasy Sports Trade Association at that time. And I was getting congratulated by some people that were in that league and others. And, you know, they said, oh, you should come out to Las Vegas. And, and there was a Vegas and New York. And people started inviting me to like live draft events. And I'm like, all right, well. This is this is going to work like other big you know high end leagues like the uh, National Fantasy Football Championship. So that was the first real big one, and uh, I was fortunate enough then to get in a couple expert leagues around 09, 2009, 2010, and uh, had a good. I remember there was an auction league in uh, Atlantic City that we did that I came in first place and won the championship in that one, and that was all industry people at that time, and that kind of got. 
you know, you get your name circulated out there, people all cursing under their breath, but congratulating you to your face. So that right around that period is when I started taking off. And one thing that definitely, you know, put your put your profile out there and and added to things is the Living the Fantasy documentary, which admittedly I have not seen it in full. I've watched the clips and the previews and seen you as being, you know, this guy, the expert, the guy who who's who's won in the past. What was that experience like? Oh, it was unbelievable. I mean, that at that point was, you know, I think I had, yeah, that was right before my daily, this is before, they, they tabbed me in this and started following me around in like 2013, late 2013, early 2014. My career was just, I was just on Sirius. I, I had a permanent show, but it was at midnight. It was actually midnight to 2 a.m. Eastern. So I just, you know, I had been a fill-in host. I was a weekend host. I was a replacement host. And then I had like one day a week on Sirius XM. And then I finally got this overnight, got them to give me the overnight gig. And that show became really popular. Uh, and by that time, I did a a worst to first finish in a, in a, a National Fantasy Baseball Championship contest. I was in last place at the All-Star break, half over halfway through the season and made it just a tremendous run all the way into first place um, to win that league in a high stakes league. Then I was coming fresh off of that. Um, and it's before any of my daily fantasy wins, which is funny. So the film, having people, you know, at that point, I was sort of the bad boy, I guess, of the fantasy industry. You know, that's what, like, the profile picture that you mentioned with the frosted tips and all. That picture is from 08, 2008. It's just so, like, douchey and so, like, it, it, it bothers people so much that I'm like, this has to be it. Like, this is like, I'm now in my 40s. You know what I mean? Like, that was, I'm like 28 years old or something at that point, or low 30s, and um, still too old to be frosting your tips, but I digress. You know, that it just makes an impact on people. So um, the, the movie, they followed me around with cameras, and I think that the one thing they caught is that on the air, I'm much more boisterous and bombastic, and, you know, I'm very confident in what I'm saying and in my analysis. But behind the scenes, they filmed me with my family. I remember they went to a couple of my son's Little League games um, during that time. And they filmed us, you know, doing family activities, eating dinner, me watching football. And there was a moment in the film that inspires me to this day, Jeff. It just, it, it'll never say, he's, they, the narrator says, uh, everybody else that they covered was in a $1,000 daily fantasy football contest, $1,000 buy-in, except me. Because at that point, I had really started treating my fantasy play as a job. And that's when I talk about how much money I, I don't just throw in entries. And I'm not what they call a, a mega multi-entrant guy. I don't do, I don't play a ton of high stakes leagues when I, I usually go silver bullet. You know, one entry against one entry. And that's how I like to compete. So in this one, they, the narrator says, Jeff Manns uh, opted to stay in a, and play in low, lesser money contests. You know, it's just this one thing, and they show me on my couch watching the game, sweating it out, but like basically saying, not ready for primetime player. That right there, you know, it's it's harmless. The producers didn't mean anything by it. It's the truth, right? But, you know, I, I watch that from time to time and say, yeah, well, within a, with, by the time the movie had been released, actually in July of that, in 2015, I had already won. The hundred thousand dollar Playboy Fantasy Baseball Championship. Six months after that, I would win two hundred fifty thousand dollars in a Fantasy Feud Live Final in uh, Daily Fantasy as well. So, and I, you know, numerous wins in the Daily Game along the way. So, by the time it came out, people looked at me much more as a, a higher stakes player and higher roller. 
But when it was being filmed, I definitely was not. By the way, the film is on Amazon Prime, Living the Fantasy. And the narrator, I believe, is Michael Rappaport. Yeah, yeah, Michael Rappaport. Yep. So it was Michael Rappaport that 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 had that line about you. Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't call me a curse word or something like that. <laughs> Mike Mike was great during the filming, man. That was great. It was a different year. It was a different time. And like you time. said, you know, just before DFS, as you said. So mm-hmm. you know, how does the introduction of daily fantasy, especially for the monetary aspect of fantasy, that you don't yeah. have to make those decisions in August and then stick with them? you know, unless of course you want to actually go to Vegas and bet, how does DFS change the game in the fantasy world for someone like yourself? Well, I think it changed the entire industry because it was one of these things where back in those days we would have our convictions say, I think that this guy, Drew Bennett is going to be the greatest receiver ever. Like disco lives forever. And we'd hold to it. And then (laughs) there was a lot of excuse making, Oh, injuries. Oh, this, well, you know, Oh, I, I got screwed over by injuries or, you know, so, you know, all whatever it was, and the daily game became like, no, there's no more, there's no more excuses. You, this is us versus each other, in in what's happening right now. You don't have to choose an injured player. You don't have to live by who you drafted. You can make adjustments on the fly, right? It's like a coach in a game of football where at halftime they're like, all right, and you're covering this guy. We're going to switch to a four three instead of a three four defense. You can make all those adjustments in a daily competition. And when it started, Jeff, I was like, I, you know, I, I'm fresh off of a couple high stake league wins. And I'm thinking here, oh, my God, this is it. I literally I think I told my wife, I was like, clear, get our safe deposit box, clear it out because I'm going to stack it with cash. It's going to be easy. <laughs> and man, I lost my backside. I lost. I was a losing daily play, player. Like it was it was like, you know, one of those things where you think you're a lot better or you think it's the same game like daily and seasonal same game no big deal right it's not really the same game you know there's a there's a lot of game theory within it but it's different formats and you have to be much more patient you know you can't just because the money is available on a weekly basis doesn't mean you're going to win every single week and you're going to win every big contest every single week so it took me about a year and a half to two years of losing and i'll never i reference this all the time there's a moment I'm sitting in my office and my wife comes in with the credit card bill and she's like, what are you doing? Hey, bud, like what, what, what would you see ever seen office space? What would you say you're doing here? Like I'm seeing deposit, 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 but you're, you're, you're down a couple thousand dollars here, which again, by today's standards may not seem like a lot to some high rollers, but it's a lot of money back in those days. And, you know, I'd explain her, well, you know, it's just this. And then I started, I found myself making excuses. And finally, I had to sit there. She left, and I, I sat there for a long time and said, all right, man, you have to get serious about this. No more excuses. No more no more playing around. No more, you know, when you have an excuse, you tend to lean on it. No. It, you find out what's working. Find out why this daily game is different, why you're not being successful right now. And that's what I did. And, you know, I started with the just cash games, getting myself, putting myself in the best possible spot to win. You know, 50 50s, double ups back in those days, building a bankroll, put like a one last $100 deposit down and build from this was it. That was it for me. There was never going to be any more. So it's either you know, ride or die with that and play with $1 contest. We all want to play higher dollar contests, but we're not all ready for that. You know, we're not all ready for the risk. We change. It's amazing when you play in a $1 contest versus a $1,000 contest, you're going to build a different lineup. 
okay, why? You know, you should build the strongest lineup in every competition you play. And I, I you know, these are little tricks of the trade I learned there. And, you know, circa 2011, 2012, that's when I finally started messing, stopped messing around. And I started building that bankroll. And that $100 eventually became, you know, 120 then it came 180 then it became 200 and then 300 and then 600 and 1200 and 24 and 48 and so on and then i started really you know doing that and then had a couple of, of big uh, you know tournament wins back in those days when i won the check swing a $27 contest on draftkings it netted me like 5 grand you know i won a bunch of those competitions and you know haven't deposited since and i'm pretty proud of that does your wife play fantasy sports no does no. she bet on anything no, no, it doesn't like sports. Just not a sport, <laughs> like legit, total not sports fan. She likes to go to games. Like she likes to go to games and she likes to ask me, uh, can we take out, you know, five grand to buy patio furniture of our account? Like that, she likes that element of it, but she doesn't, uh, no, not a sports fan, man. Not, not really at all. She's an HGTV gal. Well, but that that's where I think this is so important for the for the science of how this relationship works. You know, I don't know if she she might have to be the uh the business president of the Vegas right. Pocket Kings. You know, yeah. she might have to uh have to be sort of the uh the suit in your front office. She always is. She she literally always is. And that's that's the thing is, you know, there's p- certain people in your life that you do not want to disappoint, right? And your wife and kids for me is that. And I think the documentary that you referenced earlier kind of shows that behind the scenes of Jeff Mann's take that, you know, folks don't realize what motivates me and what inspires me. And when your wife comes at you and is like, yeah, buddy, you ain't good at this thing, this thing that you're pretending is a career, it's shameful. And you're like, yeah, I can't, like, I have to, there is no failing anymore. There's no net. There's no like, Oh, I'll go do something else. No, you have to go all the way with it. And uh, I was still working at the government. Actually, I think in those early days, like I started this as a side business in 05. And that's one of the other things I said. It eventually got to like 2010. And I'm like, no, I'm out. I, I gotta quit. I gotta quit it. And if you are working and doing and playing to eat, you're gonna be that much more successful. At least you'll know you'll sink or swim. You know, you'll you'll know one way or the other whether you're good enough to do this. Let's circle this all back to the Hall of Fantasy League, all right? All of those things that you've done in fantasy, this is something different. This is a national fantasy league. You're representing a city, Las Vegas. You also will have stakeholders. You'll have people that are looking at you as, you know, all those, all the takes that you've had in your life probably about NFL teams and their front offices and their owners. Well, now you're the guy and people are going to be looking at you. How do you expect this league to change the game in fantasy sports? Well, I, I love the idea. I mean, this is something we tried to do in, in my home league years ago. We tried to pretend we're, you know, uh, we had investors and I got like local companies to, you know, um, sponsor our bowl games, like our playoffs and stuff. So I, I, we try to do some of this, but this the whole fantasy league is a whole nother level. This is the best competition uh, around the fantasy sports industry, not just the industry, but the players as well. Um, and it, it, you're right when you have, it's a whole nother world. And I never, one of the things in my career that I realized was when you don't have any subscribers or fans or anybody, it's a lot easier to just do what you want. But when you're beholden, when, when, if I say draft Austin Eckler, a bid $50 on Austin Eckler in, in this year, I, if I have 20, 30,000 people that are saying, all right, man, in, in you, we trust that's a lot of pressure too. And that's a lot, you know, you have to make sure 
your analysis is a lot better. You can't just fly and say, oh, I'll have, you know, 10 shares of Eckler. I'll, then I'll go and I'll, I'll get some, uh, um, um, you know, whoever, uh, Jonathan Taylor this round. And, and No, no, no. When people depend on you, that's a whole nother level in this game. And uh, I'm been doing this you know, you know, well over 10 years now with an abundance of subscribers and people that listen to me on the radio or over at Fancy Guru or wherever. So it won't be that new for me, but it's still, you know, the pressure is there. It's something I'm accustomed to. And it's not letting people down, I think, is something that we established with the family stuff. I feel like I'm on the psychologist chair here, Jeff. It's like, you know what? I realize that's really the motivating factor behind me. I won't let people down because I know they're dependent on me to win. And that's what we're going to do. The point of these podcasts is just to get all your adrenaline's pumping, you know. I'm going. Let's go. I'm lathered up. Woo. Well, look, you mentioned your supporters. I think that, you know, a big chunk of the Vegas Pocket King stakeholders will probably be people from the Jeff Mann's hive. Who who should we expect? Who's going to be in our Discord channels? Who are going to be on our social channels? Who are going to be those those people? What types of people will be following you for the Vegas Pocket Kings? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you, you know, I think our, our guys, you know, probably a lot of the subscribers. I, I am very blue collar. I actually got called that. We, you know, in a business meeting not too long ago, they're like, why? I get it. You're blue collar. It's like, no, man, that's just, uh, this is what it's about. You know, on the radio. You uh, work for the government. Yeah, I do. Oh, God. Well, don't remind me about that. But yeah, I, I mean, seriously, I am used to people that just bought a new Honda Civic and they got Sirius XM for a couple of, uh, months or whatever and they're just driving home from work and they want to get better at fantasy i'm used to i'm used to that and growing that it's like we every year we reset we build from the ground up on how we're going to go about it so i you know and people have seen me do it year after year after year after year that's the one thing i get the same callers on the show i we have the same voices in our chat rooms across the elite sports network i don't want to pressure anybody into doing anything that they're not comfortable with but you know, they. I think people know that if they back me, they're back in the right horse. And if they invest with the, the uh, Las Vegas Pocket Kings here, I, I think we're going to bring home a, a lion's share of the uh, that prize money at the end of the year. So I'm I'm confident what we do. You know, have the trophies, have the success, have the chips, as the kids say these days, to back it up. And uh, you know, we're not stopping here. I like our, our producer Greg just put in our chat. If the fantasy world had government secrets, Jeff would be the guy to, to have them. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I think it should scare everybody that I once had a level 18 clearance, but that's a whole <laughs> different, it's a whole different podcast. We could do with that one uh, on the blue collar angle of things. You know, like I said, we've got a lot of really highly analytical analysts. We've got, you know, individuals who have written for some big companies in the past. How do you think as a blue collar guy like yourself, you know, someone who kind of started maybe more casual, uh, you know, how do you bring a different sort of mentality when you're making your picks every week? It's fascinating because I, I get accused of not being an, being like an analytics, uh, uh, anti-analytics or something like I'm Charles Barkley, but I, 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 everything I do is based on analytics, but I think in the game of football, I think one of the missing ingredients, the, the advantage that investors with pocket Kings will have, and that we have is that I understand the game of football. I played it my entire life. Um, you know, I tell stories about high school, you know, again, that's why the, the douchey picture, but I really do understand the game and it's not a matter of, I, I say this all the time. Everybody out there listening grew up. Everybody got forced or played T-ball. Everyone played baseball. Everybody. So we all understand that game. 
not that many and even more less of the younger generation play football. And you don't understand that saying a guy is big or fast, that's not enough. What do they do against uh, you know a certain running backs in a zone blocking scheme? Well, I'll perform what they would do in a power blocking scheme. Um, you know, why do s- certain wide receivers get more targets than others? How does a breakout wide receiver happen? Which systems have first read to the tight end or go middle out as far as the quarterback read progressions? This is stuff that I understand and I research all the time. And every time there's new coaching changes and offensive coordinators, that's that's all I do. I dive into all of that and then bring it back to, okay, does this player fit or not? And if so, how much and how less? And, you know, then you start using analytics to to build off of that. But if they're not getting the opportunity, if a team or an offense isn't good at running the football or throwing the football, it's not going to be something worth investing in either. So I'm not I all my approaches will be very direct. Everybody in the world will know who I'm in on and who I'm out on every given football season and it's just well documented i don't play the margin games i don't live and say i'll have a couple shares of this guy or if he falls far enough now very few guys it's i'm either in or and i'll take it a premium or i won't take you at all that's the way i play and it's been successful a lot of those competitions that you mentioned have had some in-person parts and including living the fantasy in las vegas so you're connected to the city in that sort of way how will, first of all, yeah, what do you love about Las Vegas and how does that all fit in with how the, the city might embrace this team? Number one, uh, what do I like about Vegas? The most, the the gambling and sports betting and the nightlife and the booze. And no, um, I like, I'm a night owl. I don't sleep. It's just something that I've never, like, from childhood even, like I sleep maybe two to four hours a night max every single night have all the way. So a city that never sleeps like that, like that truly there's always somewhere to go to eat uh, uh, pancakes or to go have a, a Jack and Coke or to go and play some roulette or go, you know, whatever it is, there's something to do in Vegas. So that number one has always drawn me to that city. Why? I just love it. And there's an energy to it. If you've ever listened to the elite sports show, you know, I, that's what I do. I'm, I get sweaty during my show. I believe it broadcasts. I'm, we're, we're in this, like we we're doing something here. I'm not just sitting back like, uh, like I'm talking to my wife watching Netflix. No, I'm, I mean, we're going for it, right? We're we're doing something. We're and that's what I feel like at, at every single uh, nook of Las Vegas. So I I love all that. I'm a big poker player, um, so I love the poker rooms out there. I took down uh, several uh, tournaments at the Luxor. Uh, I don't know if O'Shea's is still there because I don't know if it survived the pandemic or not. But O'Shea's is one of my favorite. You can go get a poker game any time, day or night over there. Um, right off of the strip um, by the link as well. So, man, I I have my favorite places, that's for sure. You live in Arizona. How fast can you get to Vegas? Right now, if you left your see. house, how fast would you? <laughs> Start the car. Let's go. Uh, I can get there in I can get there in three and a half hours. Don't tell the Arizona PD that. But, you know, there's not much traffic once you get north, um, as long as you don't. I don't work letters. for the government. I'm not a yeah, narc, ex- Jeff. Exactly. Well, I don't know who's listening to this. Lots of narc. A lot of people like to tattle on me out there but uh yeah or i could get on a you know a 45 minute flight and just <laughs> up up legs down legs and boom you're off and onto the strip so uh it, it's really an easy commute for me whether driving or flying and uh one of the reasons i love it out here in the southwest so what's the pitch why should someone out there stake the vegas pocket kings do, I, do they like winning 
Are you are you a fan of winning? Are you a fan of that, or do you you know? I I don't know what exactly all the other participants necessarily. I do know uh, several of the names that are very very good. There's a lot of worthy competitors, but uh, I've taken them down in the past. We've played together in many different arenas. We play together in high stakes and seasonal and expert leagues and channel leagues on Sirius XM. We play together in daily formats as well and. You know, I've got a, a lion's share of winnings when it comes to that. So I think if you you back the Pocket Kings, we're going to have fun. We're going to have energy. I will listen to you. I don't – I'm not going to – I will do anything to win. That's the bottom line. And if that means I'm having a bad run, if I'm not analyzing the Dolphins' backfield properly, and one of my investors or somebody wants to, hey, you know, slap me like Sharon Moonstruck, yeah, snap out of it. Okay, then we'll talk. What do you see? What does Miles Gaskin do? Why is Malcolm Brown, you know, getting so many touches? We can discuss those things. And, I, I, you know, I, I do like to hear what other people's opinions are, what the local opinions are. So um, you will have a say-so in what we do here in Las Vegas this year. You know, I'm, I'm confident in my approach and everything, but uh, I'll always be listening. That's an important part in terms of how you how are you going to manage this team. You will listen to the stakeholders, but but is it sort of this thing that you have the executive decision? You know, I, I it depends how it goes. I, I have the executive decision. That's how it's going to go for now. Um, I've got the proven track record, and but when people ascend, and uh, and they're very smart. Look at my co-host Ted Schuster. Ted's an absolute animal. Like he's he belongs in the San Diego Zoo or something, right? But the guy, every he just hits us with some drop dead gorgeous knowledge every now and then, and it's like, all right, I got to keep this guy around. You know what I mean? And that, and we've been friends for twenty seven years. As a result, uh, when people know what they're talking about, I like smart people. I like people that work hard. I like people that aren't afraid to have contrary ideas. I like disagreements. I I'm not. This is why I'm not as good on Twitter anymore because. It's not, I'm not, I don't like to fight. It's, I grew up in the South side of Chicago where we didn't, we, everybody disagreed and you think it's violent and they get the reputation. It wasn't, we taught, everybody disagreed and we hammered out our differences. And sometimes we said, ah, you're full of it. And you're full of it. And we just left it at that. There wasn't this thing now. So I'm open to conversations all the time. And I think that's going to help me a lot as sort of an executive here in the hall of fantasy league. Well, Jeff, where can people find you? You mentioned your radio show a little bit. You mentioned, We mentioned social. Where can people find you? Uh, uh, Elite Sports, 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern every weekday on Sirius 210XM87. You could find me on the One Man's Opinion podcast uh, on Google Play and iTunes and Stitcher and Podbean and everywhere your favorite podcasts are found. And then on Twitter, at Jeff underscore Mans, part of the underscore mafia over there, M-A-N-S. <laughs> and then uh, if you hit me up, I, I'm a fan of... A lot of social, other social media too, on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok. I love my TikTok. I'm fire on TikTok, wow. y'all. The Jeff Mans, all one word on all those other. The only underscores on Twitter, everywhere else. The Jeff Mans, all one word. Uh, come and say hi. Jeff Mans, he's a blue collar guy. He's a TikTok star, and he's the GM <laughs> of the Vegas Pocket Kings. Jeff, thanks so much. Jeff, appreciate the time, man. Well, Jeff almost has me getting in a car right now and driving to Vegas or from New York, probably more realistic to take a flight. He's Jeff Manns, the GM of the Vegas Pocket Kings, and you can stake them at the HOFL 
thehofleague.com. You can follow us on social at the HOF League. And if you like what you heard today, you can subscribe to the HOFL podcast wherever you get podcasts, wherever you're listening to this, hit subscribe or feel free to give us a review. Let us know what you think. This is the HOFL podcast. I'm Jeff Eisenband. See you next time.